My name is Micah. If I haven't met you yet, I see a few faces out there I haven't met. Hopefully we can meet uh, before you leave today. Uh, Well, I had a great week off, so thank you for that blessing. Got to spend it with my mother, and it was, uh, that's something I really have to be thankful for this last week, spending time with my mom. We haven't vacationed together in many years, so it was a special time with my family and her. And uh, keeping the theme of Thanksgiving, that's something that I have to definitely be thankful for this past week. Uh, another thing I wanted to mention is as we celebrate the women's retreat and everything that went on to it and into it, uh, Nikki wanted me to remind me just that this is some of the prayers that came out of that day yesterday. And so if you have some time and space before you leave today, I just invite you to pray over these prayers that, that God would speak to these women and that he would answer them in their hardship or their pain or their celebration. And also if you would as like to as well, you can also add some prayers. I think there's some papers in the back foyer that you can write in some prayers and add to this little prayer wall. And so just an encouragement for that as well. Um, I also want to thank Andrew and Lee for preaching while I was gone. They did a phenomenal job, hey? Um, when, when we decided to, uh, to do Hebrews for the summer... Uh, I told them it's a very challenging book, but they were very excited to jump into it, and uh, they did a phenomenal job in beginning the series. And so they preached through chapter 1 of Hebrews while I was gone, and I want to jump into Hebrews 2 with you this morning. Hebrews 2 is the, the, the portion of Scripture that we're going to be in together. And so if you're wondering where it is in your Bible, it's near the end. Uh, If you go to Revelation, just turn back a few pages near the end, and we're in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. And and the the beauty of Hebrews as we study it, uh, one of the reasons we we named this series the greatest of all time is because Hebrews is all about celebrating who Jesus is. It's all about saying how Jesus is greater than anything that has come before him and Jesus is greater than anything that will come after him because Jesus is the greatest person of all time. And really there's this beautiful aspect of of what we call Christology, the study of Christ, understanding who Christ is, uh, what is his character, what is his nature, what did he accomplish. And as we walk through Hebrews, this is all unpacking the beauty and greatness of Jesus Christ. And so as Andrew and Lee opened up the series in chapter 1, they they talk a lot about who Jesus is and what he has done. And we're going to continue a little bit on chapter 2. But first and foremost, chapter 2 begins with a warning. And so Andrew and Lee got some of the fun part of chapter 1, and I basically get to come and tell you guys a warning. (laughs) All right? A warning of chapter 2, there's a call for us to guard our lives from drifting away, and it's all about warning. Yeah, the the problem we face when we come to chapter 2 of Hebrews is a similar problem to uh, uh, what we face in every every other aspect of our life, is that who here always heeds warnings in their life? Not me, right? I put up a collection of signs, of warning signs that we often neglect in our lives. What are some warning signs that you have ignored in your life that you can remember? A U-turn, right? 
a classic U-turn, right? If you're in a hurry, you're like, I don't care what the science says. It's going to take me 10 extra minutes. I'm turning around. What are some other warning signs that you've neglected in your life? Yeah, speed limits, right? Who can confess to that one right now? (laughs) Right? It's dangerous to travel that fast, but who cares, right? What are some other warning signs that you've neglected in your life? Pardon? Yeah, like a museum, no touching, right? Or maybe in like a a petting zoo, don't pet the animals and then one of them bites your hand off, right? (laughs) I, I, here's a few that I thought of. There's, there's one that smoking, I mean, it's interesting. We still have smoking as a very normal thing in our culture, and yet when you look at cigarette packs, they have all these massive warning labels on them, right? And you literally watch someone carrying a pack of cigarettes or a box of cigarettes, carrying it to the till, and it literally says smoking kills on it, right? That's a warning we often neglect. What about forest fires? I put up the classic Smokey Bear there. I know he's more American, but even forest fires, that's been such a massive issue in our, our world and context in Alberta and BC, and yet so many people don't pay attention to no fire zones. They just say, I'm entitled to have a campfire. Uh, what about no diving in a shallow end, right? Kids always ignore this one, Right? What about no U-turn or asbestos? Those of you who are in trades, right, you often ignore some of the warning signs for things like that. Um, I thought this, uh, this little comic was pretty funny. You see all the yield, stop, danger, warning, no, no, no. And as they fall off the cliff, they say, no one could have predicted this, right? We, we commonly and often ignore warning signs in our life. We, we very often have this carefree attitude that says, don't tell me what to do. I don't care about the warning. I'm going to make the decision for myself. And yet when you think about the seriousness of some of these things, you, you begin to realize how fatal not listening to some of these things can be. You go on a U-turn and someone's traveling at 100 kilometers an hour and you can't pull out of the way, what's going to happen? It's going to be a fatal crash. If you dive headfirst into a shallow pool and you land on your head, what's going to happen? You're going to become a paraplegic or even worse, die. If you're going to smoke a pack of cigarettes and buy boxes and boxes of cigarettes over time, what's going to happen? You're going to get cancer. If you're going to have a campfire, even when there's all these warning signs about fire hazard and you don't properly put it out, what's going to happen? You're going to create a massive extent of burning down communities. And so when we think about warning signs, we often don't think about the implications of our actions and how often uh, what we don't listen to can have drastic effects. It's very easy for us to ignore them. And so when we come to the passage today, uh, Hebrews 2 really begins with this stern warning. And so what is this warning that it begins with? Well, let me read, first of all, the first four verses for us. It says, therefore, in other words, because of everything chapter 1 has taught us about the greatness of Jesus, because of who Jesus is and what he has done 
Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. In other words, we have to pay close attention to who Jesus is and what he has done. Lest what happens? We drift. We drift away from it. This is the warning. We drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, in other words, the the law of Moses was given by angels according to the Jews, so the law, the very purpose, the way humanity was supposed to live was given. And every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect or ignore such a great salvation in Jesus? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witnesses and signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. In other words, Jesus has come. Jesus has come to humanity to show them the fullness of what it means to be human and to save us from ourselves. And yet the problem that we have as humans is that we ignore. We neglect what God has for us. We don't pay attention to it, and we drift away. And this language of drifting, this language of drifting actually is this imagery of a boat drifting away from shore. Now, I grew up on Vancouver Island, and one of my favorite things as a child was to go visit lighthouses because when you're out on the ocean, one of the most important things when you're caught in a storm, when it's dark, when it's foggy, what's your only hope being out at sea? A lighthouse that can direct you and guide you and point you in the right direction. And if you're lost at sea, you're pretty hopeless, aren't you? You're drifting away. You're drifting away from land. You're drifting away from hope. You're drifting into danger. And so this warning of drifting is important for us to realize because it's this image of being lost in life. It's this image of being lost from the very purposes for which you were created. It's this image of being lost for who you are and what you're called to be. And that's what Hebrews is really trying to communicate is we need to be aware of these things. Why? Because to drift away from Jesus is extremely dangerous. Um, This language of drifting too, one thing that Lee brought up in our conversations about this text is he he brought up an example like Chernobyl. Who knows what Chernobyl is? Now, Chernobyl is a radiation zone. And there's all these warning signs about don't enter into the zone because it's highly, um, has high radiation. Now, if you just see a fence line and all you see is some trees and stuff over there and you're just walking along, it's not going to be that big of a deal, Right? You say, oh, there's just a forest over there. I'm going to walk into the forest. But the farther you walk, the farther you drift into that radiation zone, the more you're going to feel its effects. The more you're going to have long-term implications for how your body begins to break down. And it's the same language with drifting away from Jesus. The farther away we drift, the more we realize how dangerous it actually is in our life. And so this text then... 
Uh, what this text is bringing out when it talks about the message declared by the angels proved to be reliable, it's talking about the Jewish tradition of the law. The Jewish tradition of the law of God coming through Moses by angels. And again, this was God's instruction. This was God's guidance for humanity of how to live. But did Israel pay attention to the law that God gave them? Any guesses? No, they didn't pay attention to it at all. And what was the implication? What happened to the people of God by ignoring the law? What do we see as the fruits of that? Yeah, well, they ignored God and it produced evil, it produced injustice, it produced unrighteousness, it took away from any shalom. And so they ignored to this law of God. And now the writer of Hebrews is saying, now what is going to happen to people if they refuse to listen to something even greater in Jesus? In other words, if, if they don't listen to something even more important and powerful in Jesus, then God's going to conclude they don't really want to be saved from sin and saved from the injustice that is in them and around them. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says we need to pay attention. We need to pay attention to this. We, we can't drift from this. We can't ignore the message that has come to us in the Son of God. It is too important. And so we must fight against this drifting nature. And to fight against it, we must turn our attention to the greatest being, Jesus Christ. And so let's walk through these next uh, pieces of Scripture from verses 5 to 18. And I want us to get a deeper sense of who Jesus is and why he is someone who we cannot ignore, who we cannot neglect for salvation. And so follow along this passage with me. Verse 5, and I'm going to read to 18, and then we're going to break it down into sections. So verse 5, it says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? Anyone know where he's quoting from? Psalm 8. One of my favorite psalms, a very important psalm in Scripture. It says, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. He's quoting some Psalms in Isaiah there. 
Verse 14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Amen, church? For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. That's us. Therefore he has made he has to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let's just pray before we jump into this rest of Scripture. Uh, gracious Father, we come before you, and Lord, we thank you for the revelation of your Son, Jesus Christ. And as we look at a passage like this, Lord, there is so much beauty and imagery of who Jesus is. And we just come before you this morning asking that you would teach us and reveal who you are so that we can live in a restored relationship with you. And so that we would not neglect the salvation that you have for us and that we would not drift from the beauty of relationship with you. And so speak to us this morning through your word we pray. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to break down some of these sections because they're, they're so profound and so heavy about understanding who Jesus is. And so let's look at this first section. Uh, Jesus is the true human when we look at verses 5 to 10. Now, what is going on here in these first few verses? Well, it's telling us really the narrative of humanity. It's telling us the story of humanity through the lens of Jesus. And it talks about the, the Psalm 8 where, where humanity is supposed to have creation subject to it. Now, as we look at creation around us and as we look at the world around us, is creation subject to us? Any guesses? We can control quite a bit. We do have some authority and exercise some authority. But is there not war and famine still? Is there not evil and injustice? Is, is there not disasters that overtake us as humanity? And, and so we say, you know what? At the same time, there's this reality that creation is not subject to us. And, and the, the point of this passage is actually to draw us back to the creation story where Adam and Eve, as they're created by God, as humanity was put in the garden to have rule and dominion over all of creation, right? That was the calling of humanity, to have rule and dominion over all creation, where creation was to be subject to them. Creation was to be ruled wisely and creatively and ordered by human beings, where humanity lived in this perfect relationship with God, with self, with others, and with creation. And yet we see right on in the early aspect of the story, that all falls apart, doesn't it? And how did that fall apart? Because of sin, because of rebelling, because humanity said, we want to rule the way we want to rule. 
and we rule with evil and injustice and hardship, and therefore we failed. And our desire to live apart from God distorted the world, so we failed in this mission that our Creator gave us. And so God made all things good, but we as humanity distorted it. We ruined it. And so by quoting Psalm 8 here, what Hebrews is actually doing is reminding us of our failure. (laughs) Who here likes to be reminded of our failure? (laughs) None of us, but there's good news here as well. There's beautiful news. Because even though we failed, even though we don't see mankind crowned with glory and honor as this Psalm 8 describes, even though we don't see creation subjected under our feet as Psalm 8 describes, even though we can't tame the storms and we can't even tame our hearts and we can't even control our desires, there's something that's of good news here. Because the writers of Hebrews wants us to see how the person and work of Jesus is bringing the reality of the promises of God for mankind to fruition. In other words, Jesus is undoing what we as humans destroyed. And so the author uses Psalm 8 as a passageway into the humanness of Jesus. And and really we see this beautiful phrase where it says, What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of? What does it say? Son of man, that you care for him. Now, what was Jesus' favorite title for himself in his ministry? Son of man. And there's this beautiful aspect where, where Jesus brings up the son of man reality, and it primarily refers to his divinity rather than his humanity. But there's this beautiful image of son of man that actually comes from Daniel 7, or the prophet Daniel. And Daniel 7 talks about how the Messiah, the Savior, would be the Son of Man who would be seen as the true, authentic human being. That Jesus would be the God-man. That Jesus would be the true human. That Jesus would be everything that humanity was supposed to be. And so when Psalm 8 is quoted here, it's talking about humanity having authority over the world with everything being subject to us. And yet at the same time, it says, this has clearly not happened. This has not happened at all. Humans are not ruling the world in a way that brings God's order and justice and shalom and peace. Rather, the world is full of evil and chaos and injustice. However, because of Jesus, hope is not lost. Amen? That the evil and injustice and hardship and pain and suffering of this world can be reversed and our calling as humanity to exercise rule and reign and dominion over creation can once again be restored because of who Jesus is. Because of Jesus, we are not hopeless as humanity because Jesus, as the true human, establishes a kingdom of peace and justice and order that will last for all of eternity. Amen? That is the hope that we have in Jesus. And so we are far from rulers over this world, yet at the same time we can see because of Jesus who he is and what he has done, we get to find that purpose restored 
in our life. And so what Psalm 8 says about mankind and our failure actually comes true. And it's coming true through Jesus as the true human. Beautiful, amen? That's some of the greatness of Jesus. That's some of what Jesus has accomplished for us. Let's go on to verses 11 through 13. Jesus 11 through 13, what do we hear about him? So it says, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, we all have one source. In other words, Jesus dies for our sins. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Isn't that a beautiful passage? Jesus is a brother who is not ashamed of us. Who here has been embarrassed by a family member before? (laughs) Each and every one of us has been embarrassed by a family member before. You'll have a family party, and they'll say a few stories or say a few things, and everyone gets awkward very quickly, right? We have that family member that even though we love them, we are ashamed of them. And this happens because we're perfect people, right? We're sinful people. We, we make mistakes. We all say the wrong things at times. But put this in perspective of a holy God. Put this in perspective of a perfect God. How do you think a perfect God should view us as imperfect people? How do you think a perfect brother in Jesus should view us as imperfect family members? There should be a deep shame for what we've done, right? We know we have done things and said things that would make God ashamed of us. Confession time. We've all had that, right? There's many things in our lives that we've done and that we've said where God should be ashamed of us. But here's the greatness of Jesus. He's a perfect older brother who's actually not ashamed of us in our imperfection. He's actually proud of us. We're not even fully who we're created to be, and yet he embraces us as family. He's not ashamed to call us brothers because he has done all that is necessary to restore us and to redeem us. And there's this beautiful section in verse 12. Where in chapter 2, verse 12, we see Hebrews quote Psalm 22. What important place in Jesus' life do we hear Psalm 22 being quoted? Does anyone know? Where do we see Psalm 22 being quoted in a very important part in Jesus' life? Yeah, when Jesus is on the cross, right? In his crucifixion. And as Jesus is on the cross and the crucifixion, what part of Psalm 22 does Jesus quote? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22. And Psalm 22 is, is fascinating because it's, it's all about the suffering And death of the one who truly trusts in God and yet feels like he's being forsaken by God. And this is Jesus on the cross dying for our sins. And yet we see here the story changes. 
We see here in Psalm 22 a shout of victory. And what we see is Jesus' suffering and salvation is accomplished. Sorry, my throat's going to survive. Don't worry. We're going to make it. Oh, maybe the mite won't make it, but I'll make it. I don't know why it's doing this. It's one of those days, right? So, Psalm 22, we, we see this wild vision of the suffering <clears throat> becoming vindicated. And here's the beauty of why Hebrews brings this passage up, because the, the reason why... Jesus can be restored to us as family members is because of the cross. And here in Hebrews, it says as a result of Jesus' suffering, salvation is accomplished. That we can actually be restored in relationship with God. And as a result of that, because of this vindication, there is a celebration. And we see many are praising God. And this is why it says, in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. In other words, Jesus' suffering leads to this vindication, and now the family of God praises God for what he's accomplished through our older brother, Jesus. He welcomes us into the family. A couple more points here. Another beautiful thing about Jesus. Jesus is the high priest who atones for our sins. And in suffering... And dying for the sins of this world, Jesus has become this true high priest who makes atonement for our sin. And I love how the writer puts it here in verse 17. He says this, he says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. In other words, Jesus had to come incarnate in flesh because he has to represent humanity as the true high priest. Now, what was the purpose of the high priest? This is a massive theme throughout Hebrews, but I'm just going to give you a little glimpse into it. What was the role of the high priest? What did they do in Jerusalem? They sacrificed, right? They oversaw the temple worship. And so as overseers of temple worship, their, their most important duty once a year was to go into the holies of holies on the day of atonement where they would make a sacrifice for himself and the sins of the people. And they would sacrifice an animal and sprinkle it on the mercy seat of God. And this sacrifice would make atonement. It would be a payment for the sins of the people. Now, <clears throat> the reality is one of the problems of that is if one human wanted to die for another to atone for their sins, as Andrew mentioned in his sermon, it could only be one for one. You could only atone for the sins of one other person because you're just an individual. But Jesus is our high priest because he is infinite, because he is God. He could atone for the sins of the world. That's his greatness. That's his beauty. In Hebrews 12, later on, it tells us that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And the joy set before him is realizing that Jesus could be the full atoning sacrifice for a sinful people. There was a purpose behind it. There was a reason behind it. 
Then the last little verse here, Hebrews 2.18, it says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And the beauty behind this is, is Jesus is this perfect God who helps us in our imperfection. And so the section of Scripture started off by warning us. And what was the warning? Don't, don't drift. Don't neglect the salvation. Don't, don't stray away from Jesus. I mean, we, we sang this in the hymn this morning as well. This hymn that reminds us we are prone to what? We're prone to wander. We're prone to leave the God that we even love. And so when we realize that we're, our natural inclination as humanity is to, is to stray, is to drift, is to wander, to, we're prone to leave the God we love. We get distracted. We get caught up in sin. We get caught up in temptation. Therefore, we need someone who can help us in that. We need someone to reach down and rescue us. We need someone to bring deliverance of slavery and sin and death. We need someone to free us from ourselves. And, and this is a, a beautiful theme that I didn't even touch on, but there's this beautiful language of Exodus actually in this passage where Jesus becomes the Exodus God and brings a new Exodus. And what was the story of Exodus? We see a lot of people who were once in slavery who are now free. God saved them. God freed them from slavery. And, and this language that we see in chapter 2 is actually Jesus brings a greater exodus where it's not just a physical slavery and a physical freedom. It's actually the very fabric of death and sin, our greatest slavery in this world, we actually can find freedom from. We have freedom even over our temptation. And so we realize at the end here that when we talk about Jesus, we're not talking about a cold and heartless God. We're talking about a God who comes and suffers with us and a God who helps us in our temptation and a God who helps us when we're drawn away from Him. And so let me close by saying this. This passage is a very stern warning. Again, the, the warning is we must pay closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift from it. It's so easy for us to drift. It's so easy for us to wander. It's so easy as for to neglect the salvation that God has for us here and now. And this is a warning. Yeah, isn't it a beautiful thing to think about that God even gives us warning signs? I mean, we can talk about all the warning signs we create as humans, but have you ever thought about just the warning signs that God gives us in life? Like, what are some warning signs that you guys have experienced in your own lives? What are, what are some ways that God has spoken to you and just warned you in certain circumstances and situations? Yeah, God literally just closing a door and saying, that is not the path you're going on, <laughs> right? 
God protecting us from ourselves and our own decisions, 100%. The guidance of the Word, that God has revealed Himself through His Word so that we can know who we are called to be and what we are called to do, right? Just the fact that God has revealed to us in His Word. Yeah, the the blessing of God's Holy Spirit to guide us and convict us and to instruct us, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a a command that's an invitation to life, right? This is the way my child walk in it, right? The guidance of God. Yeah, we have so many. Who here has had someone speak into their life that ultimately prevented them from disaster, right? Where God has created us for community. God has created us for relationship. And and this is why we get to later on in Hebrews when it talks about don't neglect gathering. And the passage there is because it's all about apostasy. The warning there is walking away from the faith. You need people around you so you don't drift and wander away from God. That's why we exist as the church, so we don't walk away from the great salvation, so that we don't drift away from God's purposes in our life. That's why we gather as community to guide and instruct each other in wisdom of God. And so there's more upon more upon more that we could process even in individual aspects of our lives of of how God has, has done so much to give us warning signs in our life. And I mean, the ultimate answer to that question, the ultimate warning sign that God has given us is in Jesus, amen? That is the ultimate message. That is the ultimate revelation. That's what Hebrews is all about, is, is, is Jesus is who you have to pay attention to. Jesus is everything. And, and as I was thinking about this, I got brought back to the story in John. And I think it's one of the most powerful Images of, of Scripture about what it means to drift away from, from Jesus. Because in John chapter 6, verse 66, we, we see after the disciples realize that the path of Jesus was into suffering and into hardship and into crucifixion. What happens with all the disciples? They turn back and they what? They no longer walked with Him. In other words, they abandoned Jesus. They didn't follow him to the path that he had set before himself. And so Jesus goes to the 12 disciples and he says, do you want to go away as well? In other words, do you want to abandon me? And ultimately we do see them abandon him. But Simon Peter says something pretty powerful here. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of what? Eternal life. And it's the same with us today. When we think about purpose and value and meaning and calling and even just human existence, the only answers we truly have in this world are found in Jesus. There is nowhere else to go. There is no other salvation to find. 
There is no abundance and eternal life that exists apart from knowing Jesus and having a relationship with God. And so I want to challenge this church to really take this word seriously, to take this warning seriously, that we need to make sure that we're not being drifting or distracted or sidetracked away from the purposes of God and that we can trust Him as our good shepherd to guide us into truth and to life. And I want to say for those who aren't believers or those who are pondering Christianity, you aren't in a relationship with God, this is really what you've been looking for. Jesus is the answer to everything, all the existential crisis that you have, you just may not know it, but all the answers are found in Jesus. He is the greatest. He is the true human that reveals us life. He is the king of all creation that we get to rule and reign with. He is the brother who welcomes us into his family. He is the high priest who actually deals with our shame and our guilt and our sin. There is no other hope apart from Jesus. This is the beauty of the greatness of Jesus. Let us treat him as such. Let us pray together. Gracious Father, you come before us this morning with a word of warning. And Lord, so often in our life, we ignore signs of warning. We don't think of the ramifications of doing what we want to do. But I pray this warning would be one we all take seriously. Because in this warning is life and death. In this warning is experiencing freedom and hope and peace that is only found in you. And so I pray that we would not neglect the great salvation that you have offered to us as a loving God. That we would see your beauty and character and greatness in who you are, Jesus. And that we would respond in prayer and adoration and submission and obedience to the life that you have called before us. Knowing that it's when we lay, lay down our life when we lay down our desires and our wills and our passions and take up your purpose and your will and your calling, that we finally realize what it means to be fully human. And so speak to us this morning, we pray. Guide us and direct us in our lives. Let us worship you with the honor and glory that is due only to your name. We thank you, Jesus, for this. Amen.